0: Well, I've, as I've aged, I've sometimes amazed at the things that I don't remember. However, I do remember that we sang hy- that hymn this morning. <laughs> um, I, I actually, with Brenda, I, I had looked at it yesterday and, and saw what the worship team was singing, and, I'd, and uh, this morning reminded me of that, and I said to Brenda, you know, I was going to use that hymn tonight. She said, well, you can still sing it. So that's good because, um, you know, I hadn't heard that, that hymn in a long time. And then about a year and a half ago, uh, it was requested by a family for a funeral. And since then, I think we've, I think this is probably the third time that we've sung it on, on Sunday nights. But it is, a, it is a great, it is a great hymn take time to be holy, and, and holiness really isn't something we talk about much today. Uh, even among Christians, we don't talk about holiness very often. You ever wonder why that is? Why don't we talk about about that? Well, this morning, um, Pastor Randy was talking about a book he was reading, and a guy named um, William Faulkner had written it, and I don't remember the name of the book. I do remember him saying this, though, something like this. I won't probably won't be a direct quote. He said, he said, one thing is clear, that William Faulkner hated Christians. They are judgmental and busybodies. And then he said something else. I wasn't writing fast enough to get it down. Um, It wasn't this, but it could just just as well have been this. Holier than thou. Maybe that's why we don't think about or talk about holiness very often is because it has such a negative connotation. But holiness is a big deal in the Bible. Um, It is a big deal throughout the Bible. It's a big deal in Exodus, and we're going to come to it again tonight. We know that God is holy, but Scripture is quite clear uh, that we are also, as believers in Jesus Christ, to be holy. Be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy holy this is something that we are supposed to do something that we are to to aspire to something that we want to work toward and become so your holiness and and my holiness it's commanded in scripture we are supposed to do this we are supposed to be holy uh, but it takes time right so in our discussion of Exodus 39, we will um, talk about this, but before we do that, we better do like we normally do and, and have a quick review. Uh, we'll do the best we can. We've been in, in this section about the tabernacle for a long time, and, and we've as we get into summer, things happen. So the last time we met was three weeks ago on the 14th of May. A couple of things happened in between there where we didn't uh, have a a Sunday night service in here. Tanner was here candidating, and then last weekend was Memorial Weekend. But that's really how summer goes. So we have three weeks until our next break, counting tonight. And we will finish, Lord willing, Exodus in that that time. So here's what we are doing. Um, We're talking about construction of the tabernacle. And, and before Exodus 38, so before the last time we had everything inside the tabernacle proper, that kind of darker um, tan area, was there. And then last week, were the things built were the courtyard, so the, the fence around um, the tabernacle, and the bronze altar, and the bronze basin. And the bronze altar was is the most important thing. You can see by looking at the at the diagram that it is the biggest thing of the furnishings of the tabernacle. Um, it is large. Uh, and it is located right between the tabernacle and that red section on your right, which is the way into um, this tabernacle courtyard. So if you're looking at the tabernacle, you're looking at the altar. So it is big, it is imposing, it, it, it's, it's for sacrifices, it's front and center, it's in direct line of sight with everything you want to see when you come to worship, and there are sacrifices there just continuously. And so um, Tremper Longman says that the altar was easily accessible, unavoidable, and unmistakable. It is indeed the focal point of the tabernacle complex or the courtyard outside the tabernacle. So our main point was last time was that the altar is for our good. And by that I mean, first of all that it was for the good of, of the people of God at this time. Um, it was for the people of Israel into whom we've been dra- grafted in. Uh, It was for their worship. And we are part of that true people of Israel. Uh, And the altar was for sacrifice, which seems obvious. But what did those sacrifices do? They were a constant reminder of our fallenness, our sin, our need for God, our need for atonement, our need for justification. A constant need uh, that we have to become holy. It's a constant reminder also of what God has done for them. And the most important of those things, of those sacrifices that are offered, is the sacrifice on the day of atonement, where the high priest makes atonement, first for his own sins and his family's, and then for the sins of the people. So the altar was for our good, The sacrifices point to Christ's sacrifice for us, and the altar itself points to the cross. And so we need to keep the cross front and center to know about our need for God, to know about our fallenness, to know about our sin, to know that we need to be reconciled to God, to know that we need to be justified before God so that we need to be more holy. Um, and first of all, and or, or first, as in importance and most important, is that we must know that of our need for God and what He has done for us, and that is really the key to. That's the key to human happiness, you know knowing how serious our sin is and how much Christ has given to pay for it. What it cost, what God has done for us. So we need to keep. The cross front and center. So now we'll move on to Exodus 39, uh, beginning in uh, verse one, and we'll go through verse uh, 32. Uh, the the ESV has this this whole chapter in a section called "Making the Priestly Garments." Uh, the Hebrew Bible has several breaks. The major break is at at 32, which we're going to to use. There are other breaks, um, and and. There could, you could call this thing uh, a lot of things, but, but um, a guy named uh, Victor Hamilton pointed out something that, that really breaks this chapter down into, or at least these 32 verses down into a nice, nice easy section. And they're focused on, on these three things. Each of these sections focuses on these things. The four things that the high priest wears, that Aaron wears that none of the other priests do. So we've just come off of talking about the sacrifice, the day of atonement on the altar that the high priest does. And then we come into what the priest wears, the high priest himself wears that nobody else wears. And so here they are, um, Aaron's ephod, um, which we'll talk about, Aaron's breastpiece, his robe of the ephod, and Aaron's holy crown. So, so the fourth one really could, that's, that's too tight of a, of a definition there, but it does focus on the thing that Aaron has that nobody else has. So verse 1 then, notice it starts in verse 2 in the way that this is broken down. Verse 1 is an introduction, so we'll start there. So we'll go through these as we do with just a few comments and then we'll spend most of our time at the end in that last section about Aaron's holy crown. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. A few things to notice that, that if you've been, been here all along, you'll, you'll recognize blue and purple and scarlet cloth, very expensive things that were used both for the tabernacle itself and for the priest's garments. Um, highlighting the fact, I think, that, that with the tabernacle, The priestly service is necessary. The the tabernacle, you will remember, is the place where the Lord's presence meets with Moses. um, And it requires an intercessor who is the high priest because God is holy and set apart. So the priest's clothes were designed, as we saw earlier in Exodus, for dignity and for honor. So as we go through, we can think about that. So this blue and purple and scarlet um, yarns that they used, um, it's, it's a familiar thing. It comes up at least seven times in these verses that we're going going to read uh, but it's come out throughout up throughout the tabernacle in this last little clause, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Or something very similar comes up four times in this in this section. So those are things to pay attention to when you run into things like that. They are doing this exactly as the Lord commanded. That whatever they com- he commanded, they're making it exactly as he commanded. So Aaron's ephod. He made the ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. So this is like a shirt kind of, uh, like a sleeveless shirt um, and you'll see that as we go. And they hammered out gold leaf and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and purple and scarlet yarns. So you might think that would be hard to do, but but gold is very malleable and you can you can make it really 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 thin. Um, and so they, they, were, they were able to do that by, by starting and making spiral cuts in the gold and just going around and around and around, and that turns it into, then you can turn it into thread. Um, and they weave it into the other threads and into the fine twisted linen in skilled design. So well done. And they made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces. Joined to its two edges. So I mentioned this is kind of like a sleeveless shirt. It's something that goes on the front. It has shoulder pieces on it and a back piece. And the skillfully woven band on it. So there was a band around it. And was one piece with it and made like it. um, Of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. As Yahweh had commanded Moses And they made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of, of a signet so that's a, like on a ring uh, according to the names of the sons of Israel and he set them on the shoulder pieces on the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded her as Yahweh had commanded so there were two stones um, with six names on each of them of, of the so the twelve sons of Israel on the shoulders um, here in front as you go uh, and then there are other clothes in addition to that Aaron's breastpiece and he made the breastpiece in skilled work in the style of the ephod so very similar, of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, and it was square. They made the breast piece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when it's doubled. So a span is this, your hand, your, your hand to your finger, usually about nine inches. It's square. It goes right here on his chest, it's doubled over, so it forms a pouch, um, so you can put things in it. Uh, it's not mentioned in Exodus 39, what goes in there, but if you were here when we did Exodus 28, it's the Urim and Thummim, which are two stones that the priest used for making um, serious decisions about in the national interest, um, and we don't really know how we, how that what the process was of making those uh, but that's what they were um, and it went in they went in the breast piece and they set it in four set in it four rows of stones so these are different stones that we than we've already seen there were two that go on the shoulders a row of sardis topaz and carbuncle was on the first row the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a Yakinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and onyx, and jasper. And they were enclosed in settings of filigree. So Beale and Carson, in their in their work on Old Testament, uh, or use of the Old Testament and the New Testament, point out that these are the same stones. Um, in four of the cases, they don't have the exact same known, but are used in, as the foundation in the city of God in, in Revelation 21. So these stones, as we'll see in a minute, uh, represent the 12 children, the 12 stones, the 12 sons of Israel. Um, So representing all of Israel, like the foundation of the city of God, uh, represents all of the people of God now, Jews and Gentiles alike gathered into one church. So there were 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They were like signets, each engraved in its name for the 12 tribes. And they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold and they made two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings and put the rings the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece so they put them up here and they put the two cords of gold in the two rings on the edges of the breastpiece and they attached the two ends of the two cords To the two filigree settings and they attached it to the front, to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. So you've got two layers now. You've got the ephod and this breast piece that's on the front of it attached. And they made two gold, two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breast piece and on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod and its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. So there you go, it's attached top and bottom. And they bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with the lace of blue so that it should lie on skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece should not come loose from the ephod as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Okay, so third item of cloth clothing, this is the Aaron's robe, it goes underneath the other two. He also made the robe of the ephod, so woven all of blue, and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening of a garment with a binding around the opening, so it's got a neck place, so that it will not tear. And on the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe for ministering. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so there's no reason given here um, for um, having the bells and the uh, pomegranates. Uh, the pomegranates aren't explained earlier in Exodus, but but the the bells are uh, in in Exodus 28. Um, I'll just refer to it; you don't have to turn to it, but but. Here's what it says in, in Exodus twenty-eight, verses thirty-three to thirty-five. This is this is why they're here. Um, on its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe, and it shall be on Aaron when he ministers. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord. And when he comes out, so that he does not die. So he would, this was to be worn like this. So it, you're coming into God's presence so that he does not die. Not explained further than that. I think when I was in Sunday school as a little kid, a Sunday school teacher um, said that you know the bells were there so that uh, if he died he would start. he would be able to know it and be able to get him out but that's not really what it says it says that he's to wear him so that he doesn't die um, when he goes in um, and so on to the fourth thing where we will spend most of our time Aaron's holy crown um, and here's what here's what I mentioned that you know it this is really too narrow of a, of a de- definition of this section because it starts off with tunics. Um, and they made and they also made the coats or the tunics, some versions will say uh, it's like an outer garment woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons and the turban of fine lim- linen. So the turban is for Aaron. The caps that we're going to see are for the other priests. So the turban of, of fine linen, linen, and the caps of fine linen, linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twisted linen. So Aaron wears the turban. Other priests wear the the caps, and they all wear undergarments of fine linen. They're to uh, keep you from exposing yourself. They're they're like uh, they have legs like like probably like a long pair of shorts or something like that, but they're, they're skin tight. And the sash of fine twisted linen and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, embroidered with needlework, as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And they made the plate. Of the Holy Crown. Now you if you have a different version, you might have something different from plate. I think most of our the versions that we use here will say plate there. Um, and they made the plate. Um, it could be something like you might have something like a frontlet or a medallion. Something like that. It, the word is, a rosette is another good word for it. it. It's a word that's taken from the Hebrew word for blossom or for flower. Um, but it is made of, it's made of gold. It made the plate of the holy crown. Crown, you might have diadem there uh, as well. It's, it's a word for either one of those things. Um, they're, they're both made of pure gold, uh, and they, so I'll start that verse again. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet Holy to the Lord. So we're only going through verse 32. I'll, I'll read 31 now, and then we'll come back to this one where we'll spend most of our time. And they tied to it a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had directed or commanded Moses. So here's what we have. We have Aaron's turban. He's wearing a turban. On it is this um, crown with the, with, the, with the rosette in it or with the medallion in it. Um, that says holy to the Lord and it's secured on there so that it can't come on. It goes on the front of the turban so that when Aaron goes into the holy place and the holy of holy place, it says holy to the Lord. So he would wear it there into the holy of holies where the presence of the Lord was. He would wear it there when he was representing the children of Israel with with. Their names over, on his heart, it says in Exodus 28, on his heart is where that breast piece is. They're on his shoulders. He's also, but he doesn't go into the Holy of Holies without blood. So he's bringing blood from the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies. Um, and he comes in to this um, where the presence of the Lord is And the front of the crown says, Holy to the Lord, that inscription. And so we'll just call this little section, Holy to the Lord. And, so the first question we might ask about this. There are several questions we we could ask here, but we'll we'll just focus on really a couple of them. Who or what is... Holy to the Lord. So it's on it's on Aaron's, it's on this rosette, that's on it's on Aaron's crown, that's on his turban. But there's not a hundred percent agreement on on what that means or what it even refers to. Um, so it could be it could mean that it it's referring to Aaron. So it. Aaron is the one that is holy to the Lord. He's the high priest. He's the only high priest. He is set apart for that service, and he is wearing it on his forehead. Some think it is the people of Israel. Aaron comes in representing Israel with their names on his heart um, and on his shoulders, and he is representing them interceding For them with the Lord. um, And that they are holy. He's bringing a remembrance of them before the Lord. The third option is that it's the sacrifice. um, That Aaron is presenting to the Lord. And in this case when he goes into the Holy of Holies. He's just bringing, bringing blood with him. But he was never to go without blood. He was never to enter in there without blood. And he was only to go once a year. On the day of atonement. And so, those are the three options, and, and any of those can be backed up with Scripture. Um, just, yeah, I'll just give you an example of that. Go, if you turn to this time to Exodus 28, and it's right after the verses that I read to you a little bit earlier about uh, wearing the robe. So, Exodus 28, um, which is so, this is that they made it, right? So, these are the instructions to make it back in Exodus 28. Uh, beginning in verse 36. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a blue cord. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear guilt Bear any guilt from the holy things. Now, if you have a different version, it might not say that. Um, ESV says, he shall bear any guilt from the holy things. And I'm trying to think of the way that New American Standard puts it. shall take away the iniquity of the holy things. Bear, take away. Um, they're, they're, they're the same word in Hebrew. Um, Normally, with the kind of construction it is, it would be bear. But Aaron, that's the way ESV translates. And Aaron shall bear the guilt of the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate or make holy or designate as holy as their holy gifts. So it shall be regularly on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So notice the gifts there, the sacrifices, the things that they bring. So it could be Aaron is bringing this. This is the justification for saying that, that it's the gifts right here. The holy gifts that, that Aaron is bringing in. You can see how these verses might also say, well, no, it's, it's Aaron who is holy to the Lord. He is the one that comes in either bearing the guilt or taking away the iniquity of the people of Israel from the things that they bring. Um, so either one, um, but it also can mean. Um, but but there's also justification for saying that it is the people who are holy. So, just an example. I'll read this one verse from Deuteronomy, um, chapter seven, verse six. And this is this is now. Um, Moses speaking to the the people of Israel, and he says this to them, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The people. Holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. So they are a distinct people, holy, set apart for The Lord. I'll I'll just read another little section from uh, Leviticus twenty about the the people being holy. You might recognize it. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So all of those could be what's in view here um, because all three are true, right? All three are holy to the Lord. The people of Israel, as we saw, are holy to the Lord. Aaron is holy to the Lord, set apart. The sacrifices they bring are designated over and over again as holy to the Lord. I tend to side with those, I'm most convinced by those who Who think that it's referring to Aaron in this specific case Um, but um, I don't know so Aaron is the high priest he's the one that bears the guilt he's the one that or takes away the iniquity Um, he's the one who makes atonement for the people in uh, on the day of atonement and the other thing Aaron as the high priest foreshadows the great high priest The Holy One, Jesus Christ, who bears the guilt, takes away the sins, and makes atonement for us. So Aaron being holy to the Lord does not mean, though, that the people aren't holy to the Lord. They are. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So that's the first question. Who is it? Second question. What does it mean to be holy to the Lord? So we don't have time to fully explore all of that, but in its simplest sense, the word holy means this, to be set apart. So, holy to the Lord would be set apart to the Lord or set apart for the Lord, to be different, to be distinct, to be separate from other people. And that is certainly what the people of Israel were or was. The people of Israel were separate, distinct, different, set apart for service to the Lord. So, what else does it mean to be holy? Lot there's, there are lots of new nu- nuances to it, and and but but one thing it certainly means is holiness is to be morally pure. So, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's not the I didn't read it the only time it was in Scripture. It's it's mentioned several times. Um, one time, the time that you've heard it probably most is is just the quote from from 1 Peter 1, verse 16. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So what does this mean for us as Christians? How are we to be holy because God is holy? Well, we are to be set apart. We are to be different. We are to be distinct. Um, But it doesn't mean just any Set apart. It doesn't mean just being any different, anything different. It doesn't mean being anything that's its own thing. We are to be set apart for the Lord. Distinct as in like a city set on a hill that can't be noticed, missed, I mean, it must be noticed. We are also to be holy in the same sense of being morally pure. Um, that that passage in first in Peter that I just mentioned. Um, in that's that's partway through Peter's argument here. But but here's the context. In fact, the first Peter chapter one, beginning in verse thirteen, the ESV um, has has a heading on this called to be holy. Talking about believers. Beginning in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We like those kind of verses. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct. So in everything we do, that is to be our aspiration. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Clearly referring back again to to Exodus. But we are to be that. So we might think, well, that's that's pretty that's pretty intimidating. Um, I could never measure up to that. I could never be. I could never be someone that you would say, um, "Yeah, um, that's a holy person." That's that's what we. That's the way we think. Right? We we think we will never be able to measure up to that. We we can never live up to that. Standard. That might be another reason we don't talk about holiness. It's because we know that we pale in comparison to God Himself, who is the standard of holiness. So, so people tend to do to do, do this. They, you know, just completely, almost write that off. Then, as I can't get there, so I'm not going to try. Um, I, I. I Accepted Christ as my Savior. I believe in Him, um, and so I really don't need to worry that much about about holiness. Um, A few years ago, a long time ago now, I guess um, I was I was in another life. I was at the National Fire Academy, and when when you're there, you you at least at the in the early days, you you had a roommate, and and I had a roommate. Um, when I went there, I don't remember where he was. I think he was from Colorado um, and the same program that I was in and after a couple of days, you know I, I just noticed how how foul he was okay um, And um, I don't need to go further than that. but about day three, he noticed, something different about me and and just started asking me questions and he said and then after a while you know he said well I'm a Christian too and he he knew his bible well enough to say well um, I don't need to be on the top of the mountain referring back to Exodus where Moses goes to the top of the mountain I just want to be somewhere on the mountain and so I don't worry too much about that. I have accepted Christ as my Savior. I don't really worry about much else. Um, now, when we, when we, as we heard about repentance today, when we signed up for this, when we, when we became believers in Jesus Christ, faith and repentance go together. Repentance is turning away from one thing and turning to another. Right? And our turning to is turning to Christ and turning with everything that comes along with that, with a sanctification, which by the way means becoming holy, with being sanctified. That that's, that's what we do when we are Christians. That is to be something that is our life, our life work. Is to imitate Christ, but the good news is, the good news is that 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 it's also God's work to sanctify to sanctify us, and so as Christians, if we want to be holy, it, it's in, encouraging that we just know that we just have to be who we are, um, and by that I don't mean you be you, I'll be me. That kind of thing. Um, I mean, the kind of thing that is in. Um, I was. I'm in First Corinthians right now, so I'm not going to use that example. But but Paul talks like this often. First Corinthians, just the first couple of verses. I'm going to read them to you, and you'll see what I'm. What we're talking about here. Be who you are. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, you could very well, I mean, it is the word, being made holy in Christ Jesus. Called to be saints. Saints is the word for holy, plural, in Greek. Called to be holy ones. Together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Sanctified in Christ. With all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours. That's our job, as not only as individuals, but as a group, as a church, is to help each other become holy, um, to bring us along that journey for the glory of God. So... Um, everybody's looking for perfect applications when they, when they teach or they preach. And, and um, in, in this commentary called the NIV uh, Application Commentary on, on Exodus, a guy named Enns, um, just makes this observation about application. Um, that, that application includes meditating on Scripture because what the Bible does is change how we think about God, ourselves, and the world we live in. And that's what leads to real changed action, not some formula you use. The Bible does, what the Bible does is change how we think about God and ourselves and the world that we live in. But that takes time. So, back to Take Time to Be Holy. Great hymn. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word and we thank you for uh, the challenge and the encouragement of your word to be holy. We thank you for your holiness and we thank you for the work of Christ who uh, died, rose again to give us life, but is also ongoing, his ongoing work through the Spirit who you have put in us as your holy temple to sanctify us. And so we thank you for this time together as we gather together as the body of Christ. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.